Wow, what a morning, huh? What a morning. I, as I think this is just all so fitting, there's an awesome thing going on this morning. It's obviously because Christ is risen from the dead. Um, and uh, also, there's an awesome thing that's now going on here, whether you know it or not. Today, we finish the Gospel of Mark. And uh, if there were a few words that would describe all of that for me, and I think with what's going on here, it would be this. Bam, oh my. I mean, we've had from BAM, from children coming in and being a part of leading us in worship, and that was the focus with the kids to be leading in worship, and from the BAM of that to the BAM of confetti cannons, to the, uh, to the oh my of what's going on, to the oh my of Rhonda's story, to the oh my of all the songs we just sang, oh my. What a morning it is. And it is all because, and only because, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It is all and only because that. Bam, oh my. I would say those words would actually describe our whole adventure ride through the gospel of Mark. It has been a ride that we've been on, friends. Since last June, we've been on this wild and crazy ride. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you can see it. I'm the bald guy right down here at the bottom whose eyes are about ready to bug out. Wow, what the Lord has done as we've gone through this whole book. Do you you, you know how that is? Uh, Have you ever been on a roller coaster ride and you kind of get in the loading zone and you, you sit in the seat and then all of a sudden as you sit in the seat, you hear this. Please pull your safety restraint down, making sure that it is securely fastened. Keep your head, hands, arms, legs, and feet inside the ride at all times. Remain seated until the ride comes to a full and complete stop and the safety restraint is released. Have a safe and enjoyable ride. And it sounds about like that when you're there too, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, after that's done, you pull the the, the, the arms down, put the strap across, whatever it is, and it's like, bam, you're out. And it doesn't necessarily shoot out, but doing the chuk, 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 chuk up to the top, and you can just, you know, <laughs> and some of you are like, I'm going to kill you when I get down from getting me on this. And then all of a sudden, the bam goes into oh my, into the drop, and then oh my, bam, into the, into the 360 loop, and the curves, and the turns, and the G-forces, and then well, here's what, that's been what's been going on for us. And, and we are today, we're on the last G-force turn, and we're coming in uh, to the end of the ride. Now, know this. It has been a ride, and without this last turn, none of the other turns matter in the whole ride. Everything is built on this. And, And let me say it this way. How you finish out this ride today is of the ut most eternal importance. How you and I finish this ride through the gospel of Mark, if you will, today, how we finish our time here today is of the utmost importance. Utmost importance. 
But before we go to the end of the Gospel of Mark, where we're at in the text, I'm going to ask that everybody would go to the start of the ride and turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We're big about the Bible around here if you're visiting with us today. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what God's Word has to say. So we're in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you need someone or someone near you needs one, grab one out of the back of the seats. It's page 836. Page 836 in the Bibles there. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Gospel, that word means good news. It's good news information. It's great news information. And so Mark is starting this by saying that I have some great news to tell you about. And note there, it's about a person. It's about Jesus. And then after he says Jesus, he gives a couple more words describing this Jesus from the very get-go of the ride. Uh, the first term that he uses there is Christ. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title. The other term he gives is the Son of God. That also, very important, is a title term. Uh, the, 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 The term for Christ is referring to the Messiah of the Old Testament. He's the one that's been coming. The term Son of God does not mean he's been born of God. He's like a man on prophetic steroids or something. It literally was clearly in that day a term that was a divinity term. Basically, both of these terms were divinity terms. And so what is happening here is John is saying, or Mark is saying, I want to tell you about some great news about this Jesus divinity guy. Pull the latches down, load in, and here we go. And then it's bam, and John is on the scene. By the way, there's no birth, there's no Bethlehem, there, 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 there is no genealogy information. There's no star. There's no shepherds. It's like John is on the scene and then bam, look, look at chapter one. Then Jesus is on the scene as an adult. There, there's been uh, no kind of background with it. It's just bam on the scene. And then it's like bam, Jesus is baptized. And then bam, he's off into the desert for 40 days. And then bam, he calls disciples. Then right after that, bam, demons are talking with him. And then uh, Jesus in that is basically telling demons to zip it. And they do. And then it's bam, all of a sudden, uh, there he is healing people in these towns. And then it's bam, he's off to the next town. And then it's bam, people are flocking to him from everywhere. And that's chapter one. And the bam keeps going. Uh, just quick summary. Bam the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Bam Jesus is walking on water. Bam Jesus feeds 5,000 men, which is probably some 20,000 people. Then it's bam the transfiguration. Bam the triumphal entry. Bam the forsaken cross. And I'll tell you, it's just a crazy cool adventure ride, hasn't it been? If you've been here, hasn't it? It has just been a blessing for me, and I believe it's been a blessing for you, and God's been using it. But know this, with every BAM event that's been taking place, Mark is very clean and clear in making sure that he emphasizes this oh my thing in it. It's just not kind of like, wow. It's like, oh my. And in fact, at the end of the storm in the Sea of Galilee, 
Mark leaves it in such a way that it's like the disciples are asking one another, who, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, chapter 5, they're on the other side. And then, bam, a whole event picks up with the demon. Remember that one? And then Jesus finally casts all the, the legion of demons out into the pigs. Remember the million dollars, oink, 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 off, this, off the edge? And you go to the end of that, and everybody is left amazed. This is the way Mark writes. He writes in such a way that it's an event, and then you are left stunned. Now turn to Mark chapter 15. Now let's go to the end of the story. Page 853. Let's go to the end of the story. Knowing this, every event that we've been on through the book as you're turning pages has been leading up to this event. And without this event, all other prior events are null and void. If this event is not true, then let's go home. And I want to note this. Not only does Mark himself write in this bam event, then leaves it as an oh my, but Mark ends his whole writing that way. We'll see here in a minute, and I'm going to have us, Lord willing, walk out that way. Well, picking up where we left off last Sunday, Lord bless the reading and study of your word. We're in Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Everybody ready? Let's go. Verse 42. First five words. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says this. And when evening had come, and I literally have written in my Bible, bam. What I mean by that is three hours at least just went by. In other words, from last Sunday where we were talking about the death of Christ, uh, he was put on the cross at 9 a.m. At noon, all the lights went out. And at 3 p.m., it is finished. He is forsaken as Mark focuses on. And we talked about that. And now all of a sudden, verse 42, it's evening. Uh, Let's just say it's somewhere around 6 o'clock or after. And we've just lost three hours of time. But Mark's like, let's just get on to the rest of the story. Some things have happened during that time, but we're just going to go with Mark and what he does here. And he wants us to meet a few individuals. Here we go, verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate. And ask for the body of Jesus. Let's pause there. We meet Joseph of Arimathea. And we learn four things about this Joseph of Arimathea. Number one, he's a member of the council. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a member of the Supreme Court of Israel of the day. The religious leadership of the day. He's one of those guys that's on that. And I do need to note, Luke 23 tells us that he was a righteous man. And, this is so cool, he had not consented to their decision and action. There was a guy behind the scenes standing up. Way to go, dude. And that's Joseph of Arimathea. He's a member of the council. Secondly, he's looking for the kingdom of God. Oh, I could spend the whole time on that, but I just can't. Let me put it this way. He was searching the Old Testament, looking for the Messiah. The dude was in tune with Scripture. 
And he was watching and he was looking and he was a man of the word, studied the word and he was looking for the Messiah. That's all Mark puts out there so that I'm going to leave it at that. Third, he takes courage. And he takes courage because what he's about to do, he could pay a big price for all of this, like losing his Supreme Court position. Sometimes it takes courage to stand for Christ, doesn't it? And he took courage. It wasn't simple for him. He knew there were some consequences. And fourth, he goes to Pilate asking for the bodies. Crucifixions. Bodies were oftentimes just left on the cross. Not all the time, but uh, um, oftentimes they were just left on the cross. Um, By the way, it was known in the day. Remember last Sunday we had talked about history tells us that before Jesus Christ was crucified, Rome had crucified some 30,000 men just from Israel. They were experts at this. They knew how to do it and they knew how to torture and they knew how to execute. And also in this, there were times where the bodies would be on the cross for two to three days before the person died. I can't even fathom that. And then after the person would die, sometimes they would just leave it up on the cross. Yeah, you can just picture what then goes on with animals and everything and just get decayed and torn apart and eaten by the dogs. It was just a disgusting thing. Some of them were then uh, also thrown uh, in in trash areas, uh, oftentimes in the dump, the the Valley of Hinnom, or commonly called the Valley of Gehenna. That's interesting, especially as we move down the road into Revelation. But four things. He's a member of the council. He's looking for the kingdom of God. He took courage, and he goes to Pilate, asks for his body. Let's pick up verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. Why? Well, think about it. I just said that it was not uncommon for them to know that people would hang on the cross sometimes for two days, one, two, even up to three days of time on the cross before the person had died. What time is it now? Well, it's only been about at least six hours, maybe eight hours, and all of a sudden he's dead. Well, we know it's six hours, but it's the time when all this is taking place in the conversation. Pilate hears about this and he's stunned. He's already died? That is not normal. He gave up his life. And so then he summons the centurion. Very cool. We'll come there in just a second. He asked the centurion whether Jesus was already dead. He's confirming the truth. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Note corpse. It's a dead body. So here's Pilate. He's surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. He summons the centurion. The centurion, as the text tells us, and as we talked about last week, a centurion sent, that was someone who was over up to a hundred men. He was the leader of this whole crucifixion process. Pilate sends for the guy in charge to make sure that, is this really true? Because only like six hours and he's dead? The centurion comes. And then Pilate grants Joseph Jesus' body. Well, the other person we meet here is the centurion. Remember him from last Sunday if you were here? How cool is this, by the way? It clarifies the reality of the role of the centurion. He's a leader. He's a military commander leader. 
He's just not some knucklehead that's walking around a sick person just delighting in the beating of people. He is overseeing the military men that are crucifying Christ. He's seen tens if not hundreds of crucifixions. This is an experienced man. This is a man of authority. And if he doesn't do his job well or right, he loses his job. And so Pilate, of anybody wanting to know, is the guy dead? He calls for the centurion. Remember the centurion, what he said? I think it's verse 39. You can look in your scriptures. He's the one who said, surely this is the son of God. That one comes to Pilate. And he comes to Pilate, and Pilate's like, hey, is this Jesus guy, is he really dead? He's like, I wish I could have been there to see what he would have responded. Yes, sir. And the two of them are stunned by the whole event. Pilate should have listened to his wife. Everything is not normal with this crucifixion. Verse 46. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock We know from the other Gospels, uh, obviously Joseph is quite a wealthy man. and uh, This is a rich man's tomb. This is a brand new tomb from the other Gospels tell us. And laid Jesus' body in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. But we know from John 19 that Nicodemus, one of the other Sanhedrin, remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was the guy of of uh, the born-again conversation with Jesus in John. Well, Nicodemus is also there, and, and so they, they put him in this newly made tomb. They, they roll the stone. Uh, we're going to learn just a little bit about the stone here in a minute, but it was a two-man job. That's why I'm bringing Nicodemus into it. By the way, I just want to say, how cool is it with these two faithful ladies We saw them last Sunday in verses 40 and 41, watching from a distance with Salome. We'll see Salome again in a minute. Way to go, ladies. Way to go. By the way, why would they say that they saw he was put in that tomb? Uh, Very important. We'll find out here in just a minute. And in Mark's typical fashion, it's bam. Crucifixion is done. The body is in the tomb. What do you do with that? I mean, from all human reality right now, the situation has just gone bad. The whole scenario has just gone down the tanker. I mean, this guy, Jesus, was just starting to get people following him and getting him quite a following. And now he's dead and gone and his men are off somewhere. And there's a couple Sanhedrin guys that are loving on him. And there's a a few ladies that are just so faithfully loving in the process. And yet it seems like everything's done and over. Goodbye, next guy in history, please stand up. Um, Mark just ends it here, but we pick up in the next paragraph and it's bam verse 6 chapter 16 verses 1 through 3 when the sabbath was passed mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him and very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another who will roll away i wish i could do it in a woman's voice but it's really sound dorky 
Uh, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Pause there. A few things about what's going on here. It's bam, the Sabbath is over. <laughs> the Sabbath is over and now Mary and Mary and Salome can go and buy spices. Spices were used as a whole loving act after the body had been laid in the tomb for a few days. It was common for loved ones to come, put spices on the body as a loving act, but just in all honesty, also as a, just to keep down the smell of a decaying dead body. In verse 2, it's all of a sudden, bam, now it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday, and it's early morning. Uh, They head out to the tomb. Sweet ladies. Their plan is to pour uh, spices on Jesus' dead body because they saw him die, and they're thinking he's dead. I mean, duh. I'm not a super smart guy, and I can figure that out. They're thinking he's dead because they saw him dead, And on the way, they're walking and they're asking the question, these three ladies, who will roll the stone away for us? Verse 4, we'll find out it's a very large stone, just real quickly, tombstones in that day. In a rich tomb like this, it wasn't that these stones were massively like eight feet in diameter or whatever. Some of them were as small as four feet in diameter and so forth. But the way these were made was, is these were one to two tons of weight. This wasn't like rolling a disc, Okay, or shutting a door. But they would have this off to the side in a tomb like this, and they would have it placed in such a way that when it was rolled in, it would take a couple guys to get it rolled in. It would have a little cut-out piece at the bottom. So when it came, it would roll all engineers all together. It's like, boom, they would fall in and stick. Why would they do that? So it doesn't get rolled away easily. Because the force, just do the vector work on it, okay? The force of it coming into it, I'll see high school students, it's valuable, (laughs) okay? The whole thing is, is it comes in and it takes a couple guys to get a one, two, two and a half ton stone, even though it's rolled oomphed in. And then it, it would sit. And then to get it out would take a lot more force than to get it in. A lot more, just do the math. And so they're walking, these three ladies, and they're like, they know, they know how tombs work. And they're like, we're never going to be able to roll this thing, the three of us. Bless our hearts. Okay, you there, you there, and you there. (laughs) Nothing's happening. They knew that going over to the tomb. That's the setting. They're expecting a closed tomb and a dead body. Let me sum this up so far. That Jesus is dead, dead, and who it's been confirmed by. It's so far been confirmed by these very three cool ladies. Both from last Sunday, off at a distance, now even just the fact that they're going to a tomb to anoint a dead body. It's also been confirmed by a military centurion and all his men in the process of the execution. Again, these men were professionals at what they did. They knew when to administer what, how far to take it, what were the signs if it was going bad and to hold an inch from there. They knew how to crucify a person. They had been doing it for years and some 30,000 men of experience went into leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And these guys all knew that he was dead. And also Pilate. Just the fact of Pilate confirming it. Pilate had no question. Listen, if the centurion says he's dead, everything's been taking place, even though it's like freaky soon, 
the guy's dead. And Pilate puts his Roman seal essentially on it by allowing the body to be taken down. And by the way, it's also been uh, seen and validated by two Supreme Court sitting men, Joseph and Nicodemus. And as two women approach the tomb, it's bam. Verse 4. And looking up, whether their heads were down or whether they're kind of walking up, you know, the terrain, and looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. And just for the readers, the stone is very large. This was not a pebble. This was not a rock. This is a large stone. Verse 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were what? Amazed. They were alarmed. Okay, let's go through it. Mark gives us information, but he doesn't give us all the information. Mark doesn't tell us about the fact that the other Gospels tell us that the whole stone was sealed shut with a Roman stamp. It also doesn't, Mark doesn't get into the whole Roman centurion thing or the Roman guards guarding it overnight. Mark just doesn't, doesn't get into all that. He's just like, bam, let's just get to the tomb open. And so they do. And so we get there and it's like, oh my, verse 5, they are alarmed, they are amazed. Why? Because they were expecting a dead body in a closed tomb. And plus they meet a guy. But let's talk about this word alarmed. In the Greek, Mark, uh, Mark is the only one who uses this term. It's a very strong word. It's not kind of like they were like, oh my, I mean, this, that's not the word in the Greek that would be used for what they are experiencing. This is like an overwhelming stunnedness. This is an overwhelming distressedness. I mean, it's like over the top. And here these women, their whole minds are blown by what they're seeing right at the moment. Mark uses the the same word in chapter 9, verse 15, when it's talking about how people were super stunned by Jesus. In Mark 14, verse 33, interesting, Mark uses the word to summarize Jesus' distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a joy, but also a distressedness in the use of the word. And here, these ladies are in a total mind blow. Never in a million years would they have thought they came to an open tomb, no body, and an angel sitting in there. Never in a million years. So it's like, so how do you process just the facts of an open tomb, no body, the whole situation? Really, there's two ways to go about this. One is, is we can go about this, and what is the self-evident human reasoning concept behind it? In other words, we process it and define it and, and, and put it all together by our own human reasoning. Well, here's what some of the human reasonings have come up with, because I will tell you, most of the debate about the tomb is not whether it was empty or not. The debate is about how it got empty. And human reasoning comes in with things like this, saying, well, there really actually was no historical Jesus. There was no person like that. It's just a fable. Another one is saying the swoon theory that Jesus really wasn't dead that they put him in the cool, damp tomb, and it kind of makes a little sense in that. And then, he, you, know, you, know, you know that little baby, the mom and the baby, the car turned over and the baby uh, was alive after like 18 hours? You know, like that. Oh, but one, 
He was beaten to death. He had professional executioners validating the whole thing. Every one of their jobs and lives were on the line for it. I mean, I'm just telling... Okay, I've got to keep going. Here's another one. Uh, they stole the body and fabricated a hoax. If I were to believe one, that's the one I'd believe. But there's a problem with that. But what about the tomb guards? What about the seal on the tomb? And what about the fact that nine or 11 die as martyrs? I could understand a couple dying for a lie. But all 11 of the disciples remaining die for a lie? I'm having a hard time buying that along with the other evidence. Another one is the ladies went to the wrong tomb. Oh, but Mark chapter 15, verse 47. God knew those, these are the kinds of things that are going to come on the table. The ladies saw the tomb where he was put in. They were at the right tomb. Then there's, uh, I'll just call it the Muslim theory. That wasn't Jesus that died on the cross. That was someone else. That was either Judas or that was uh, Simon of Cyrene or that was someone else, not Jesus that was on the cross because God, Allah, would not allow one of his prophets to die like that. We've got a big theological problem there. And here's the last one. This is the craziest one. In 1995, there was a debate that took place and a guy, I won't give his name, bless his heart, a guy came up with a twin theory that actually Mary gave birth to twins and, uh, and, and one died and the other, you know, it's kind of like the movie, or they, anyway. You can try and reason it humanly, but here's the cool thing. When God does a work, God in his grace and his love and his kindness provides the divine revelation to know how to process it. And so what does he do? He puts an angel smack dab in the middle of the tomb. How cool is God? You can't explain this by human reasoning. You can't. Someone was dead and then they became alive again. Who can do that? And so an angel is there helping them, verses 6 and 7. And this is what he says, this this young, uh, white-robed angel. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. That's really sweet, isn't it? I mean it. And it's the same word. Hey, you're freaked out in this? Don't be freaked out. But it's kind of like, that may be easy to say, but I'm still freaking. (laughs) But it's so sweet. Uh, Do not be alarmed, ladies. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See? Look at the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, that's a really cool statement there. I'm not going to have time today to go into it. But tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. And by the way, he puts a last statement important. Just as he said, just as he told you. Well, a few things here. Number one, do not be alarmed. Very cool. Just, ladies, hold it together. Look at me. Eyes at me. Look at me. Look at me. Hear what my lips are about to say. Jesus is the one you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. He was crucified. He was dead. Yeah, yeah. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. What? No, no, no. Just like he told you. It's this simple. He did what he said he would do. And everything hinges on this fact. Everything holds to it. And then verse 8. Look at the reaction. 
And they went out and fled. (laughs) And they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That's where the gospel of Mark ends. You'll have some other text on there. I'm not going to have the time today to go through it, explain why here, but on some of the manuscript process, I want to tell you, if anything, the terms in here that are talking about the rest of the story that you have from some of this and some of the early manuscripts, they aren't there. Uh, it's, it, it makes sense, but I don't have the time to go through with it all in detail with you, but just know this. These kind of statements give us greater security in knowing what we have. Listen, if there's a few things that we're a little bit not sure about, we'll note it. But I want to tell you, I I, I believe at verse 8, the whole gospel stops. And Mark ends because the earliest manuscripts didn't have the rest of it. And I think, I'm getting into it. I think basically people were trying to help people know the rest of the story. And they kind of added a little bit of information, not to play with it, not to manipulate, but just to help people. But I think Mark wanted it ended right there, just like he ended every event. Where people walk away going, whoa, what do I do with this now? I mean, let's take a look at it. Here are the ladies. They leave the tomb. They fled. Rah, they're running. Ah, but it's kind of like, are they excited? Are they what? No, they're trembling. They're quaking. Ugh. I have no idea what's just taking place. My whole worldview has just been changed. They're trembling, they're quaking, and they're in astonishment. They're blown away. They're, they're, they're so blown away, they're not saying anything at the moment. And, and then they left afraid. All of these are terms that are describing what Mark has done so well throughout the whole gospel, is helping us understand what's going on in people's heads as a result of a confrontation with Jesus Christ. And that's what Mark is doing here. And it's just like, <laughs> why are they leaving this way? Because something massive just happened. Something so massive that they never would have thought about it. Something that seems impossible. Wait a second. People don't die and then come alive. No, no. People don't die for three days and come alive. That's impossible. What am I to do with this now? Oh my. And hear me on this. For these ladies, they know that this moment just changed everything about the rest of their lives ahead. Everything just changed now for them. Everything. This is bigger, more magnificent, and they don't even know how to put it all together together in all of this. And Mark ends. It is genius writing. (laughs) Obviously, Mark, the human author, through the Spirit of God, writing down exactly what God wanted. But Mark's whole approach, again, is again and again to stun us, bam, with something about Christ. And people are left going, oh my, what is this and who is this? And that's exactly how Mark would want it. Bam, he's risen from the dead. Oh my, 
what does this now mean and what do I do with that? Three options. I'm going to leave us with three options today. How are you going to walk away from the bam of the resurrection? Three options. Number one, you can walk away and go, oh, baloney. Oh, baloney. This whole thing is a hoax. This whole thing is a fable. It's all just a crutch. Good for you, but I'm out. If that is you, I want you to know this. I do not think you're a loser. And I'm not going to get in your grill. Instead, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you can hear what God's word has to say. And I want for you to know you are welcome here anytime and all the time. If one thing we've learned through the Gospels is that Jesus loves people who think and want to ask questions. But here's over the years, one of the things I've kind of come around is I've spent time with people who are in that oh baloney phase of all this. So often they actually haven't had anyone to ask the questions they want to ask. I just want to let you know, if you're in that place and you have questions you want to ask, I would love to, we would love to talk with you, wouldn't we? I mean, absolutely. We're not going to get in your grill. Ask your questions. Jesus loves people that think. But by the way, don't go, oh, baloney, and not think it. Let me give you two possibilities. Number one, I might encourage you to go home and turn to the book of Ephesians. It's to the right to where we're at, chapter two, and just spend some time reading through verses one through 10. And the whole thing is summed up. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. Also, if you want, after the service, when we're all done and uh, we don't make a deal out of it, but I've got some books, some couple of small books up here about God wrote a book telling about why we believe the Bible is God's word. And it takes you and helps you to think through the facts of the scriptures itself. I'd love to have you come back. Ask questions. You can't walk away from this story not thinking. Oh, baloney. The second one is this. Oh, hum. Oh, hum. It's kind of, that's cool. You know, I buy that. Hey, what's for lunch? It's kind of the, um, it's religion thinking. It's the, I make Jesus what I want Jesus to be, and I make of Jesus what I want to make of Jesus. Okay, oh, hum people, if that happens to be you, I love you, but I am going to get in your grill. Because know this, that is so arrogant. Who are you, who am I, to be able to stand before Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, and take of him what we want? And make of him what we want. We're not in that position. If Colossians 1, if he is indeed the creator of all things, we don't have a word in it. We need to hear what his word is. And oh-hum thinking and oh-hum living is Jesus on the porch reality. Revelation 3 gives the illustration of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. 
It talks about if you go and open the door, he will come in. But a lot of times, oh, hum, people are kind of in this, no, stay out in the porch and we'll talk through the screen door. And Jesus is like, I'm sorry, but I don't play that game. Oh, hum, religion. Lovingly, Jesus says in Revelation, I wish you were either hot or cold, but those that are lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Ouch. He's serious. Lukewarm, oh, hum. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, many will call me Lord. But I will say, I never knew you. Why? Because you want a religion, not a relationship with Christ. And he doesn't play that game. He did not give all of himself for you to give half of yourself. If you're an ohum, come and talk with someone. And let's get you out of that place. The Savior has died for sin. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And you heard Rhonda's story. She knows what it is to go from number two, oh hum, to number three, oh my. Friends, Easter's a cool day. Bunnies, chocolate, NCAA. (laughs) Ham. (laughs) It's all really cool, but know this. This event, this changes everything. How every day is lived, how every day is seen, how trials are handled, how trials are thought through. And we are to be the kind of people that we are to make a loud noise unto the Lord and shoot confetti and joy for what he has done. Mark chapter 4 talks about the four soils The obaloni is soil one, the ohum are soils two and three, and the omai is soil number four. Remember in the video, soil number four, Jesus talks about it's like the soil that receives the seed. And the soil receives it, and it puts everything of itself into the seed. It's moisture, it's time, it's nutrients into the seed. And then the seed begins to grow and sprout. And the seed is the word. The seed is Jesus Christ. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And they're pouring themselves into it, not Oham. That's soils two and three. But soil four, they're putting themselves into it. And their moisture and their time and their efforts. And it begins to sprout and the roots begin to grow. And growth takes time. And the roots spread into every area of the soil and, and, and the seed is producing and growing out of the ground and producing fruit. And Mark leaves it as Jesus described, he's saying they produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Bam, the story ends. Bam, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. I want people that put themselves, who receive me and put themselves in, and I will grow in them and grow out of them and produce from them. And by the way, when you walk along next to a really cool tree, you don't go, look at that awesome dirt. You go, look at that awesome tree. All out of the word of Jesus Christ. Oh, 
my. How are you going to walk out of this room today? But how are you going to walk into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and April and May and 2015 and 2016 if we're here? How are you walking into them? I would call you. If you're not in Omai, it's time to make the step there. How are you going to walk away from the resurrection? Well, the roller coaster is pulled in to the loading zone. The safety arms are now being released. And you have six days. And we're going to come back next Sunday. And we're going to step into a new roller coaster ride. And it's called the Revelation Coaster. And buckle up. Six days. And we're going to go over to the book of Revelation. My Doug, that's quite a jump over. No, no, no. Where is Christ now? And what does he look like now? Because the whole book is about the revealing of the risen glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, the Lamb. So we're going there. Buckle up. Here we go. Booyah. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified here in this place, and I don't mean physically in this building, but in our heads, in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, everything... Everything, everything past, everything future from the time of the resurrection is, is, is held in the, in the actual fulfillment of the resurrection. Oh, Lord, we're not a church with a cross. We're a church with an empty tomb. That's the reality. You have risen from the dead. Oh, my and God, I would pray if there's anyone here this morning who is in that place to where just understanding what it means, how to have a relationship with you. Go, God, I pray that the Spirit of God would be doing a work that would awe them and amaze them and cause them to come and ask. And just have someone take them through the Word of God in greater detail and help them to see. God, I would pray that there would be any Obaloni people in here that you'd be working on them to move them to the, oh my, relationship with you. God, I would pray if there's been this morning anybody in here who's just looking at their own life and they're like, oh, I've been in an oh-hum state. Oh God, I pray it's time to shift. May you do a work in their lives. Because you are risen from the dead. And you are mighty and everything from here is different because of it. Every day and all our future. And Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
And they are clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 